If you have one, if you would take your soap opera script and go to scene 29. I mean, take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 29. That may sound terrible to compare the Bible to a soap opera script. That's not my intention, but simply to say that the story we've been reading about Jacob and now his two wives, Rachel and Leah, sounds like something you would watch on daytime television. Um, if you'll remember, in the last episode, Jacob had just been deceived by his father-in-law, uh, and he is now the husband of two sisters, Leah and Rachel, one whom he loved and the other whom he despised. And today we're going to pick up the story of these two sisters, uh, the, the brides of, of one man. We're going to look at their, at their hearts. We're going to look deep into their home, this home of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. And as we do that, we'll get a glimpse into our own hearts and the way that God sovereignly brings us to a place of seeing that he alone is the fulfillment of our deepest longings and our deepest desires. So we'll look at the mess within this household, and we will see the mess that's in all of our hearts. Because your heart and my heart, we were made by God to worship. We were made by God to look at something or someone and to find in that thing or that being something that's worth giving our lives to. We are created to ascribe worth to something. And ultimately, we are created to worship God. We are to find in God the answer to all of the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. But we're also born sinful And we naturally reject the worship of God so that we can worship other things. Even we who are in Christ tend to worship things other than the one true and living God. And we're prone to turn from God and to find satisfaction in other things. And one of the most common places that we turn to when we turn away from God is that we turn to relationships. We turn to people. We may worship and we may seek satisfaction in things, but more often it's people that we sacrifice to. We seek love from our parents. We seek love from a spouse. We seek love from friends, maybe from our children, maybe from those in our social network, whether in real life or on your computer. Anyone and and everyone, we're always seeking for love from others, or we we long for it. And we'll sin to, to get the love of a spouse or to get the the love of a parent or a child or a friend. We're we're hardwired for relationship with God, and eternity is set in our hearts. But often we turn, instead of to God, we turn to those beings, human beings created in his image, and we look to to find love in one another rather than to find love in in God himself. And so we have homes much like Jacob, Leah, and Rachel's home. It's, It's places where we're all looking for love. We're looking for satisfaction. We're looking for fulfillment in relationships. But here in Genesis 29:30 we find that no human relationship can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. That's the lesson we're going to pull out. No human relationship can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. The reason we need to hear that is because we're told the opposite so often. And because we're so prone to believe the opposite. Movies and and music and television and books and each other and countless other avenues tell us that people are not just a reflection of God's all-satisfying love, but they are actually the ones that will satisfy us. Relationships aren't a gift from God, 
meant to point us towards him, but rather they are the fact, they are the point of our lives, period. But as we look at this dysfunctional family, we find that no human relationship can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Children, young adults, married, unmarried, parents, not parents, this message fits all of us because this is where we're all at. We're all prone to seek satisfaction in relationships, relationships with others rather than in our relationship with God through Christ. And so we're going to read in Genesis 29, beginning in verse 31, and we'll read through Genesis 30, verse 24. It's a, it's a larger section of Scripture. It's a little different as far as narrative goes. So I want to give you three things to just sort of look for as we're going through this. So first, look for God's activity. Look for what, what is God doing? What do people attribute to God's power? Look for God's activity. Then look for the names that are given to the children that are born here. So the names of children, uh, what do these names reflect, what's behind them? You may have notes on the side or at the bottom that you can glance at that will actually tell you what that name means. It's sort of in the text, but also maybe in those footnotes. Um, and then third, note how the passage begins and how it ends. So we're looking for God's activity, the names of children, and then how the passage begins and how the passage ends. This is just kind of help in a larger chunk of scripture so you can kind of wade through it all. Okay? So let's read together, beginning in Genesis 29, and I'll start in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah. As a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and he has, has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. 
But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And Jacob listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, there's so much packed into this narrative, and we're going to zero in pretty specifically on that idea that that no human relationships can satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. But if Genesis is a book about about beginnings, then at least part of what's being communicated here to Israel are their origins. Sort of saying, this is where you come from. Except for Benjamin, we meet all the originators of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as the descendants of these sons of Jacob would have heard the reading of this in the book, they would have come to see where they had all come from, who their mother was, the circumstances surrounding their birth, the birth of their particular tribe. And if we're honest, this isn't a great story, is it? (laughs) I mean, this would not be the kind of family story that you would share with your children. It's not something that you would broadcast necessarily. On PBS, we watch this show called Finding Your Roots, and it's this guy traces the genealogies of of famous people. And inevitably, if the story is, is rooted in the United States, then it, it runs through the Civil War and it runs through the early days of America. And inevitably, people find out that their ancestors were either slaves or slaveholders. And it's always a very poignant moment to realize that this is in my family history. In fact, there was some controversy. One actor wanted that not included. Uh, he said, I don't want you to talk about that on television. There's other stories, too, stories about crimes that people commit or unsavory activities. And you know, We all have those stories. You might have that story just in your own personal history, but surely it's in our family histories, things that we'd rather people not know about. You know, that's what this story strikes me as. You know, I don't know that I'd want everyone to know that this was in my family history, but here it is, I mean, in all of its details. And in it we see that God is able to use some of the ugliest and the most shameful and sinful circumstances to bring about his will. This is the birth of the nation of Israel. In the midst of jealousy and envy, of marriages to multiple wives, of women being used as pawns, of marital strife, of rivalry, of pride, God, in the midst of that, is forming and even fulfilling his promise to send a seed who would bless all the nations. This is what God uses. And we can see that. I I don't know that they did. I'm not sure that Jacob and Leah and Rachel understood what was going on here, that they understood the love of God and God's sovereign control in the midst of all of this. I don't know if they trust God's will, that he's going to satisfy their souls in the midst of this. And I think that's part of the problem. So they start 
to invest themselves in finding satisfaction in relationships other than God. Jacob is pretty passive in these verses, but just rewind a minute and let's think about what we know about him. So we're going to consider these, these three characters and just think about the lessons we learned from them. So we'll think about Jacob first. So you might write Jacob if you're taking notes. And then next to him, this sentence, Jacob teaches us, if we are looking to others to satisfy us, we will find ourselves deceived and disappointed. If we are looking to others to satisfy us, we will find ourselves deceived and disappointed. You got to feel for Jacob. He moves from one difficult family to another. It would seem like he's he's a man um, who just is always surrounded by family conflict. He's a guy who never knew the love of his father. He was coddled by his his mother, and now he's seeking love in the companionship of a wife. So he's given this option by Laban: you can work for whatever you want. And he wants to work for Rachel. He wants to he wants the love of a wife. And in the midst of this, he he acts completely out of character. I mean, Jacob, remember, he was the guy that's always deceiving, always hustling. He's always, you know, trying to deceive people. And he's able to to get his brother to sell him his birthright for a bowl of soup. But when it comes to getting Rachel, he drives no hard bargain, does he? He says, I'll work for you seven years, which in terms of money would actually have been about twice of the normal bride price that that you would pay. And he he doesn't negotiate at all. Jacob is so driven to find love. He's so driven to find satisfaction in a relationship. And he thinks that Rebecca is the answer. She's the one that will finally bring me love. Rachel. Thank you, Andrea. I saw her say Rachel. I have Rebecca written down here. I get confused. Rachel is the one, not his mom. Rachel is the one that will bring the answer. Marriage to her. He uses, in the narrative, he actually uses the language when he talks about, um, in the previous part, when he says, give me my wife so that I may go into her for my time is completed. He's asking Laban, give me Rachel now. And it's it's a very crass term. And in some ways, what he's saying in, in part is, not only will I be satisfied by my marriage to Rachel, but also by the physical intimacy that I can have with her. He thinks that marriage and the physical relationship that he can have with Rachel, that that is going to fill the deep longing that's in his heart, his desire for love, his desire to be blessed. But Jacob teaches us that if we're looking to others to satisfy us, we will find ourselves deceived and disappointed. Jacob works, and he works for seven years for Rachel, but on the wedding night he is deceived by Laban, and when he wakes up the next morning, it's not Rachel, but it's Leah. Who is with him? His hope for satisfaction, his hope for love, his hope for some sort of family unity has slipped through his fingers. I think romantic relationships are often seen as the solution to the desire that we all have to be known and to be loved. And so, too, throughout history and in our day, physical intimacy is thought to be the thing that is going to fill up our hearts. From an early age, we're driven to seek love. And if we don't find it within our family, we make foolish choices. We seek romantic relationships. People are responsible for their own actions, of course, but in the case of this lack of love that that Jacob had from his parents, from his father in particular, 
It leads him to make foolish choices, and that happens in our, in our, in our lives, doesn't it? I'm no psychologist or psychiatrist, but it's obvious that if someone lacks love from a parent, that they seek it in other areas. They, they, they're looking for relationships to satisfy them. But often we find that they, that they don't, that the relationship can't satisfy the deep longing of our, whole, of our hearts. Physical intimacy, even, even rightly expressed within marriage, can't meet our desire for relationship, this desire that only God can fill. We look and look for this person who's going to fill us up. It's going to make us happy. And yet, in the words of Tim Keller in a sermon that I listened to, he says, when you wake up, it's always Leah. We seek and we seek and we seek, but when you wake up, it's not what you thought. It's the person that you didn't expect, and it doesn't satisfy you in the way that you thought it would. You can have the greatest marriage in the world, but it will not fulfill the deepest longings of your hearts. You can date, you can hook up with as many people as you want, but you are deceived if you think that that will bring you satisfaction in the end. It will not ultimately fulfill you. And Jacob shows us that if we're looking to others to satisfy us, then in the end, we'll wake up and it's always Leah. You will be deceived. You will be disappointed. Now, I don't want to just say Leah is a negative thing. Let's learn something from Leah. Because Leah teaches us a similar lesson, but something different. So you might write Leah. Here's your thought for Leah. If we are looking to others to satisfy us, we will fail to rejoice in the blessings of God. If we are looking to others to satisfy us, we will fail to rejoice in the blessings of God. <laughs> Leah, while we said she was not necessarily ugly, she was rejected. She faded to the background at, this, at family gatherings, and everyone praised her younger sister. She was a wallflower. She didn't go to her school dances, not because she didn't want to, but because she was never asked. She was unloved. Her father assumes the only way that Leah is going to find a husband is if she tricks someone. That's the only way she's going to, he's going to get Leah married. If you ever watched Downton Abbey, which I did, um, Leah is Edith. Leah is, she's drawn the short straw in life and in looks, and no matter how hard she tries, she's always just poor Leah. But in the end, she had found herself in this home. But it's a home where she is married to a man who was also married to who? To that sister of hers that she had always lived in the shadow of. A sister who this husband loves Rachel more than she loves Leah. Loves, loves Rachel. Jacob loves Rachel so much that any care that he has for Leah just looks like hatred. You feel for Leah? I think we should. And Leah is invisible to everyone. But while she's invisible to everyone else, you see in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. How kind of God. God sees her. God sees her and he sees specifically that she is hated. And so he loves her. In his kindness, he opens up her womb. God is the source. He is the origin of all life. And he lovingly gives Leah a son. How good God is. He blesses us. He blesses those that are outcasts. He blesses those that are rejected. His eyes towards all those who we write off as unwanted and unloved. If you feel like Leah, God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He desires to bless you. You know, we may have thought we knew God's pattern up to this point. 
the younger is the one that's going to be blessed, right? That's how it always goes. It would have made sense that Rachel is the one who is blessed with children because Isaac, the younger son, chosen. Jacob, the younger son, chosen. Rachel, barren. Leah, while she's older, is the unloved daughter, the rejected sister, the invisible wife, and she is the one that God blesses. She has six sons total. We see four of them here. And with the birth of each of these four, Leah acknowledges God's hand of blessing. It's the Lord who has done this. And yet at the same time, you see this wrestling in her heart that she, she realizes God is blessing her, but she longs for the love of her husband. And so we see if we're looking to others to satisfy us, we will fail to rejoice in the blessings of God. Reuben is born. And she praises God. She rejoices that God has seen her. But her great desire is that her husband would see her. That her husband would notice her. Simeon is born. She thanks God for hearing her. Simeon means he hears. But she wants Jacob to hear her. She wants Jacob to hear her and acknowledge her presence in this home. She has Levi. And she says, this time she hopes that this son will make her husband be attached to her. Three sons, three wonderful blessings from God. Yet each one is named as if to say, I see your blessing, God, but I want my husband to love me. That's what I want. These gifts are good, but that's not what I want. I want, to, I want my husband to care for me. And each time she has hope, oh, this, this child, this is the one that's going to attach him to me. And every time her hopes are dashed. We can all relate to Leah, right? I mean, we've all been rejected. We've, we've all faced that. We've all worn our heart on our sleeve. We've sought the attention of someone else. And we've been rejected. We've been cast out. We've all felt unseen. We've all felt unheard. And yet all the while, the God of the universe is, is lovingly reaching out to us and he's blessing us in so many ways, just like he's blessing Leah. He sees her. He knows her. He longs for, for, him to be, for her to be attached to him. But she is so consumed with this other desire. This, long, this longing for relationship, this longing for love from her husband, that she doesn't see it until the fourth child comes along. Leah sees this fourth son, and what does she name him? She names him Judah and says, this time I will praise the Lord. She's learned. We'll see that she hasn't fully resolved it. There's still some pain in her heart, but there's a lesson that she's learned. She sees Judah as a gift from God, not an opportunity to win her husband's affection. And she praises the Lord. Leah is so blessed. And she finally starts to see it. She doesn't even fully see it, though, does she? Levi is born from her. And who comes from Levi? Levi, but Aaron and Moses, those great leaders in Israel. They are from Leah. And then Judah... The line of the kings comes through Leah. She is blessed beyond what she could even imagine. And not just kings, not just David, but the Messiah. She is the one who is ultimately blessed. She catches a glimpse of it, sees what God is doing. I think we can be like Leah. We become so focused on some relationship that we want, whether it be the love of a parent the love of a spouse, the love of a child, of a friend, that we miss to, and we, we don't see how God is actually blessing us in so many ways. We miss the ways that he is fulfilling his word to us. His gifts are meant to, to point us to him, but we remain unsatisfied. We're looking for something else. We're looking for someone else to fulfill us. 
but God may bring us to a place where we finally see that he alone deserves praise, that all the good gifts that we have and even the disappointments we have are meant to push us closer and closer to him. So Jacob shows us that disappointment that can come if we seek satisfaction outside of God, we're disappointed, we're deceived. Leah shows us that we can be looking for some relationship so much that we fail to see God's good gifts. And then we see Rachel. Rachel, this is what Rachel teaches us. If we're looking to others to satisfy us, we will fall into worldly wisdom. If we are looking to others to satisfy us, we will fall into worldly wisdom. So we come back to Rachel. She shows up in in verse 1 of chapter 30. Here's Rachel, the beautiful sister. She's loved extremely by her husband. Unlike Leah, she's desired by Jacob. She's probably been favored throughout her life. She's the the favorite. Um, Her older sister lived in her shadow, as we said. She was probably the popular one, the prom queen, the center of attention. But here we find that she is barren. That's how this section begins. And we'll see how it ends, actually, with her having a child. But it takes a long time. And many years and many foolish choices before Rachel is blessed with the child. You know, Rachel may not be someone that we would initially have sympathy for. She's favored, but we can also feel Rachel's pain. She, she wants to know so deeply the blessing of children. But instead, she watches as Leah has son after son after son after son. And each one is just a stab in her heart until she can't stand it any longer. I mean, do you see the irony of these two women? Leah wants the love of her husband, and she gets all the children. Rachel has the love of her husband. She just wants children. Rachel is, is not the first to walk down this road of barrenness. She follows Sarah. She follows Rebecca. But unlike Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel don't trust the Lord and seek him. What do they do? They fight. <laughs> Rachel blames Jacob turns into this argument. She comes to him and says, give me children or I die. Jacob, you're in charge. You need to give me children. To which Jacob responds with really good theology that was not appropriate at that moment. (laughs) The Lord gives children, yeah, but Rachel is so aching to have children, so much so that she makes a foolish choice. The blaming doesn't work, so she takes matters into her own hands. Again, if we can't have What we're looking for, we will fall into worldly wisdom and according to the custom of the land, but not according to the law of God. What does she do? She says that that Rachel should take Bilhah, her servant, as a wife. So now we've got three wives for Jacob. And Jacob has two sons through Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali. Both names indicate not thanks to God, but rather triumph over her sister. That's what she really wants is to win and to beat her sister. Of course, two can play at that game. So Leah gives Jacob Zilpah, her servant, and two more sons are born, Gad and Asher. These names serve as taunts to Rachel. Leah had learned something. She'd learned to praise the Lord, but there's still this animosity in her heart towards her sister. We see this in the affair of the mandrakes. Little Reuben one day comes home with with some mandrakes. This was a plant that was considered to be an aphrodisiac. The root looked like a, a person. And it had a small yellow fruit on it. It was thought to increase physical desires, thought to increase fertility. And so Rachel 
still unsatisfied that she hasn't had children of her own, thinks this is the solution. Give me the mandrakes, and then maybe I'll have children. So Rachel politely asks Leah, could I please have some of your son's mandrakes? And what does Leah do? She just erupts. She says, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? So they cut a deal. And eventually it's agreed that Rachel can have some of the mandrakes in exchange for Jacob sleeping with Leah that night. Look how twisted this family is, right? I mean, Rachel, for some reason, has control over who Jacob sleeps with every night. So Leah comes out. Jacob's coming in from the field. And Leah meets Jacob and says, I bought you with my son's mandrakes. Sounds like the language of prostitution in a marriage. It's crass. It's disturbing. And it sounds a lot like what Jacob did to Esau, doesn't it? Esau's coming in from the field. And he buys his birthright with food. And now Jacob has been sold for food. And so the dust clears in the midst of this. And when it's all settled, Leah has had three more children. Two sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and a daughter, Dinah. And Rachel still has no children. What's the lesson? The mandrakes didn't work. Mandrakes didn't do it, did they? Rachel got what she wanted. She thought this would solve the problem, and it didn't do it. Just like giving her servant to Jacob didn't solve the longing in her soul, neither did the mandrakes give her what she ultimately wanted. Rachel's confidence was in a plant, that this fruit could give her the fruit of the womb, and it failed, and she remained childless, and she remained unsatisfied. When we seek God's blessings in ungodly ways, we don't know the joy of his good gifts. We can long for something so deeply that we're willing to do anything to get it. We can long for someone so deeply that we'll do anything to get them. We want a relationship, and we will break God's law to see it happen. We'll do whatever it takes. But our efforts leave us even more empty than before. So now she's at the end of herself, and God remembers her. It says there in verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her, and opened her womb. I think at this point she finally said, I can't do anything. And she prayed. She prayed with an earnestness that God blessed. And God blessed her and gave her a son, Joseph. And she says that this son has taken away her reproach or her shame. She names him Joseph. Maybe your note says what mine does. It says, may he add. And she says, may the Lord add to me another son. I don't know if you catch it, but I catch a hint of, I'm so thankful for this son. Give me another one. It's not enough, God. (laughs) She got what she wanted, and she wanted more. What a family, huh? Three people searching for relationships. Seeking fulfillment in one another, seeking fulfillment in others. They think that relationships are also ultimately going to satisfy them. That's something that people want us to buy, right? Relationships will satisfy you. Children, you have parents who love you. They love you very much, and it's a wonderful thing. But the love of a parent will never satisfy you like the love of God can. Young adults, maybe you're in high school or college and you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. 
And, and that kind of love is a wonderful thing, the love of the opposite sex. But it will not satisfy you. Physical intimacy, right or wrong, in the right context or in the wrong context, will not satisfy you. If you're married, your husband, your wife, is not enough to satisfy your soul. Parents, you've put all of your energy and your effort into your children. You think that they are going to make you happy. And they will not. Your children cannot fulfill your deepest longings. There is no relationship with any human being that will satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And Jacob and Rachel and Leah show us this. I think Jacob, his life in so many ways is marked by the trials of his family, especially as it relates to the love of his father. Now, I, I again, I don't want to psychoanalyze Jacob unnecessarily, but he never had the love of a father. I don't know the, the research or the data, but my observation is the absence of a father or the presence of a father who doesn't know how to love rightly or to communicate love and affection to the children. These things, they cut deep wounds in the souls of people. And many who don't get love from a father or from a mother start to look into other places to find that love, and it's often destructive. We're like Jacob. We wonder why didn't God why, why, why didn't dad bless me that way why didn't dad love me like he loved my brother or my sister why did dad not really know how to relate to me well we struggle with that and that's a, that's a just part of this broken world and we didn't have that love as children and so now we seek to find it in other places you know there's so many in this world that are walking around they're looking for the love of a father on this earth that they never had. Others are like Leah. They're looking for the love of a spouse, a husband or a wife. Maybe they're looking for that love in a spouse that they have, or maybe one that they don't have yet. And their lives are focused on gaining that love, the love of someone, someone who will love them, someone who will accept them, someone who will hear them and look at them and, and be attached to them. We want to be loved. And God has given us this wonderful gift of, of marriage, but often it's elusive or doesn't meet the thing that we're hoping it will meet. Many people are in this world seeking for the love of a man or a woman. Still some people are like Rachel. All they've ever wanted is to be a mom. All they've ever wanted is to be a dad. And they think that somehow that love of a child and the ability to be loved as a parent, that that's going to bring satisfaction. That's going to make me happy. They live for their children. They invest everything in their child. Or they live to have children. And when it escapes them and they can't, then their world is crushed and they say, with Rachel, give me children or I shall die. People are seeking the love of a child. They want to have a family. Let's just acknowledge that there's pain and disappointment in this life, right? And we've all been scarred by different relationships. It could be a relationship with a parent. It could be a relationship with with a spouse. It could be a, a relationship with a child. There is true heartache seen in the desire for marriage or in a loveless marriage. There is anguish in the souls of those who want to have children and can't have children. There is difficulty and real pain caused by people who grow up and don't know their father, don't know the love of their father, don't know their mother, don't know the love of their mother. That's real, legitimate pain in our lives and brokenness that comes into us. 
And so often we then want to find that love somewhere else and we start looking for it in people, just like Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And so much of the anguish that comes into our lives comes in part because we're looking for that love in people, but no human relationship will ever satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. You could have the best father in the world, you could have the best spouse in the world, the best children in the world, and it will not satisfy you. Our hearts long for the love of a father, but only God, the heavenly father. It's only in him that we will know true, unconditional acceptance. Our hearts long for a spouse. And who is Jesus? He is the bridegroom. He is the one who lovingly comes and sacrifices everything for us. Our hearts long for children. And who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's not our son. But we will only know and be truly, deeply loved when we understand the love of Jesus, the Son. No human relationship can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls because that's not what they're created to do. Rather, all relationships, good and bad, are intended to point us to the love of God in Christ, to the love of a Father who sends His Son to we who are unlovely and rejected because of our sins, to we who are deceptive and conniving, to those of us who can never be satisfied, no matter how many good gifts God gives us. And he makes a way for us to know the deepest love possible, the incomprehensible love of God in Jesus. And you can't earn it. Work for seven years, work for 14 years, work for a lifetime, and you can't buy it. You can't manipulate it. You can't use your own conniving and your worldly wisdom to get it. It comes by grace alone, through faith alone. And the love that we're looking for that satisfies our souls is found in Christ alone. The Son of God who lays on his life to be the bridegroom to take us back to our Father. Only Jesus. The love of God in Christ is the only relationship that can truly satisfy our souls. So are relationships bad? Is that what I'm saying? Certainly not. They're just not everything. Your parents can't bear the weight of, of all the longings in your heart. They were never intended to. Your spouse, your husband, your wife, whether you have one or not, cannot bear the weight of all the deepest longings in your heart. Your children can't bear that weight. You know, maybe that's part of the application. Maybe you need to release someone from holding all of that. Again, acknowledging brokenness, but recognizing that maybe part of the problem is that I put all of my eggs into one relationship. And I've said that this person will satisfy me. This is the one that's going to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. And they fail me because they were never intended to. They were never intended to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Only Christ can do that. Maybe you need to stop trying to be that for someone. There's someone who loves you, whether it's a spouse or a child. And you think, I am their Messiah. I am the one that will satisfy the deepest longings of you. That's a weight that you were not intended to bear. You can't do that. You can point them to Christ, but you cannot bear that. Maybe you need to release some relationship, a desire for one or one that you have, and say, listen, I had put everything in this, and I, I can't do that anymore. It may be that today is sort of our Judah moment, right? 
where Judah comes and we say, I'll praise the Lord. I will finally praise the Lord. I'm not going to look anywhere else. You've been disappointed. You've been deceived by looking for some fulfillment. You've missed all of God's blessings because you're trying to find it in a person. You've tried everything. But now you see that everything that you've been looking for, it's not in those relationships. But it's in the love of God in Christ who comes and forgives us of our sins, gives us a heavenly father, gives us the bridegroom in Christ, gives us his son. I don't know, maybe that's what we need to do today. Maybe for the first time that you say, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to recognize that I've been looking for satisfaction and everything else, but I see that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. Or maybe we just need to reorient, that you're a believer and you say, you know what, I have been putting too much stake in this, or I've been holding on to a grudge against someone, and I realize that I'm, I'm asking too much of them, or I'm asking too much of myself, and to recognize that only Christ can satisfy us. Let's all just give thanks to God, though. Give praise to God. To give thanks to God for Jesus, the the Savior of the world. And Jesus, Jesus, who, unlike any other human relationship, satisfies all of the deepest longings of our souls. Let's take a moment of silence, and I will close us in prayer. Father, there is so much application here that I can't do. And so we're all trusting your spirit, God, to shine your light into our hearts. Lord, reveal in us where we are looking to people, to relationships, to satisfy us. And how that's just messing us up. Lord, we acknowledge brokenness. I acknowledge that there are those in this room who have been hurt deeply by others. And I pray you would bring healing. And not healing through some other earthly relationship. But through the love of God in Christ. Lord, you can bring healing to us. And we ask that you would do that. Holy Spirit, teach us. Show us what to do with this. Show us how to apply it. And let us cling more and more to you. Let us walk out of here praising you for all of the goodness that you have given us in Christ and for the blessing of relationships, not that we would put everything into them, but that we would see them as a reflection of all of your kindness and your goodness to us. Lord, may the work of your word not stop here just because we sing a closing song but may it continue to sink down deep into our hearts and to change us. We love you, Father. We love you because you first loved us. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.